Thank you, Garrett. Once again, just a a special thanks to all of you who are joining us this morning, this Mother's Day morning, and special thanks to David and Antonio who are doing our sound for us, and Teddy and Garrett who are helping us with the service in different ways, and the praise team, and Peter on a regular basis who sustain and encourage and uplift our hearts to a wonderful Lord, a good Lord, a gracious Lord, a Lord who is worthy celebrating in season and out of season and the source of our joy this morning. Well, this Mother's Day morning we return to Psalm 23. And we return, as we mentioned last week, to King David's very public and very personal confession of faith, which is also the public and personal confession of faith of all true children of God. These psalms were written with the intent that they would be sung in the temple, the house of the Lord, by the people of God, in the presence of the Lord, led by the priests, present at the time of sacrifice, vivid displays of the gospel and the anticipation of the coming of Christ, though many may not have known that directly, but these songs were the songs of the king for the people of the king. And King David in Psalm 23, his very public confession of faith is simply this, the Lord is my shepherd. And as we noted last week, this is not a a confession that King David came up with on his own. This is a conviction and a commitment that is built upon the testimony of God's word. King David, the perhaps greatest king until the coming of Jesus, really embodied the spirit of the Lord and the calling of what a king was to be in Israel. And part of that involved him writing out by hand the law. This was the Lord's stipulation in the law of Moses, that the kings of Israel would represent the great shepherd, the Lord. And part of their responsibility in representing the shepherd meant that they had to know his word. You could not represent the great shepherd if you did not know his word. So what was called upon and written in the law was that the king of Israel was to write out by hand under the oversight of the priests, the shepherds whom God had given, the law, and they would correct, and they would say, you wrote it, David, wrong here, or this is not correct. But then at the end of that process, David would not only know the word of the Lord, but he would have his own personal copy to which he was held accountable. A word and also a covenant that held him in commitment and responsible to the authority of the Lord, but also to the people he was called to shepherd. Well, we mentioned last week, Psalm 23 was not something that King David came up with off the top of his head. It was a conviction and a commitment that came directly from the word of the Lord. Very specifically, what the word of the Lord has to say about who the God of the Bible is and what he does. He is the Lord and he is the shepherd of all. He saves and he redeems himself. And regardless of their circumstances, regardless of their challenges, it is this divine 
testimony of who the God of the Bible is and what He does. That He is the Lord and that He shepherds those He has saved and redeemed for Himself. It's this divine testimony that gives King David and the people of God confidence, hope, and joy, especially in uncertain and difficult times. And this is because the God of Psalm 23 as Peter mentioned this morning, is not just the almighty creator of all things. He is also, as scripture shows, the holy redeemer and savior who lovingly and perfectly leads and cares for all those who trust and follow him as Lord. This was not just the conviction, as we said, of King David's heart. This was the testimony of the entirety of his life. And as we'll learn later today, it was an imperfect life. It was a life that stumbled and offended God and sinned against man. And yet, the overarching trajectory of his life was a testimony, not of his own achievements or abilities, not of his own perfection, hardly his sinlessness, but it was a testimony to God's gracious shepherding and his perfect shepherding in David's life. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, which is both a confession and testimony of God's perfect love and his perfect care for those who by faith belong to him. Psalm 23.1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's worth noting as we come to the end of this psalm, that the final destination of Psalm 23, the end of Psalm 23, is the house, the dwelling place of the Lord, the sanctuary, the temple, but ultimately the place where the glory of the Lord has chosen to dwell with His people. It's also worth noting in David's time, that house of the Lord, as you would come into it, one of the immediate and visible displays that you would see would be the altar and the sacrifice and the stench of burning blood and burning corpses as sheep were sacrificed round the clock on that altar so that the people could have their sins atoned for so that they could draw near to the glory of the Lord. The end of Psalm 23 is the dwelling place of the glory of the Lord, where the Lord has chosen to dwell and find a way to dwell with His sinful people. And this is where the God of the Bible, in love, always leads those who belong to Him. He's not leading us to our Xboxes. He's not leading us to our big screen TVs. He's not leading us to the latest binge-worthy ESPN series, on NBA, greatest of all times. Not to diminish and say that's sin, they have their place. But we've got to see, where is the Lord leading us? 
Certainly not leading us to the White House or to our best life now. The Lord has a destination for His sheep. And that destination is with Him in the house of the Lord. And this is what David's confession of faith in Psalm 23 is all about. It's all about the Lord's perfect oversight of King David's life. That leads King David safely through dangerous and dark valleys to the house of the Lord according to God's word. And brothers and sisters, this is where all true sheep have been created to be, where they've been saved to be, and where the Lord delights to bring them. Delights to bring them into His presence safely home. And this is what shepherds, according to God's word, are all about. This is what shepherding, brothers and sisters, is all about. It's about moving sheep in the right direction. By definition, sheep aren't meant to stay in the same place. Even if it's a great watering hole. Even if it's a great green pasture. That's a stop along the way. The tendency of all sheep is when they found a good place, nobody wants to leave. But the Lord is a good shepherd. And part of the work of a good shepherd is to make sure that his sheep don't stop and settle for second best, but they keep moving along the way until they are safely home in the Father's house. Brothers and sisters, have you stopped along the way? Or are you moving in the direction that God calls you? This brings us to our first point this morning. The Lord leads his sheep in the right direction. The Lord leads His sheep in the right direction. And that right direction leads to His Word and to Himself. Lord shepherding is very clear. And it's very clear and easy to see whether it is the Lord who is leading us. Because if the Lord is leading us, He will always lead us to His Word and to Himself. And if we're going in a direction that's contrary to His Word, no matter what I preach from this pulpit... No matter what church I am in, no matter who I spend time with, be it John MacArthur, John Piper, the Pope, whoever, it doesn't matter what is the direction of my life. Because if the Lord is leading regardless of the money I put in the offering plate or the service I give at the church, if the Lord is leading, He's going to lead me to His Word and He's going to lead me to Himself. As we noted last week, in the Old Testament and the New Testament, God reveals Himself to His people as a shepherd or as a pastor. Now, I'm not trying to bring blasphemy in here to suggest that the Lord represents Himself as a pastor. We, in our modern times, have a view of a pastor as the man who stands behind the pulpit. But that word pastor comes from the Latin words and the French words, pastor, pastor, which is directly tied to the word pasture. Directly tied to that that taco, the El Pastor taco. But that is also coming from Lebanese immigrants who went to Mexico who brought lamb on a spit. It's the idea of shepherds. That word pastor means literally, in the old English language, shepherd. So God has chosen to reveal himself as a shepherd or as a pastor. 
That is his model for leadership of caring for his sheep. And a shepherd and a pastor is someone whose primary responsibility is the oversight of those sheep specifically who belong to him. He doesn't care, take care of, of the sheep who belong to the other pastors who are out there. He takes care of his sheep. And the oversight of those sheep who belong to them involve moving them in the right direction to get them to where they need to be. And the Hebrew word for shepherd, it comes from the Hebrew word for shepherding or for grazing. Re'ai. And this Hebrew verb means to graze, to feed, to tend or care. To graze, to feed, or to tend or care. And similarly, that English word, pastor, from the Latin and French words, pastor, also exactly the same, refers to the activity of bringing sheep to the pasture, of grazing them, of feeding them, of taking care of them, of, of tending. And we see by the very definition of these words, both the Hebrew and English words for shepherd and pastor, the three primary responsibilities of a pastor, what's involved in that pastor or shepherd's oversight, is the leading of his sheep, the feeding of his sheep, and the care for his sheep which also includes tending or taking care of their wounds or where they are hurting or where they are sick. And at the end of the day, we see all of this is about bringing sheep to the place where they need to be. Dr. MacArthur at a shepherd's conference that we attended several years ago, he made the point. He said a pastor's job is not to be an events coordinator. He's making reference to God's revelation of the role of a shepherd. It's to lead and feed and care for the sheep and make sure they get to the proper destination. That where they start, they don't stop. But they end where the Lord wants them to be, safe in the Father's home. And at the end of the day, the final condition and destination of any lamb it's not dependent on the lamb's intelligence. It's not dependent on the lamb's strength. It's not dependent on the lamb's ability. A lamb's final condition and destination is ultimately dependent on two things. First, and most importantly, a lamb's final condition and destination is dependent on its shepherd's ability and willingness to lead and feed and care for his sheep. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the challenges, regardless of the difficulties along the way. And this is what Garrett read to us earlier this morning. In John chapter 10, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. The bad shepherd takes off as soon as the first sign of danger comes along. And so we see the well-being of those those sheep, them getting home and safely into the pen at the end of the evening. It's dependent not only on the shepherd's ability, but it's also dependent on the shepherd's willingness to suffer for the sake of the sheep. That's the first and most important factor. 
for a lamb's final condition and destination. But there's a second thing that's also involved and that also plays a role in a lamb or a sheep's final destination at the end of the evening. It's the lamb's willingness to trust and follow and submit to the lead of their shepherd. Regardless of the challenges, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the difficulties along the way, rain or shine, their willingness to hear their shepherd's voice and follow him through thick and thin, rain or shine, difficulty or adversity, whether you understand or you don't understand, but to keep following the shepherd who loves you and is able to take care of you. Clearly, you can have the best shepherd in the world. And if the sheep refuse to follow, they will go nowhere fast. When King David, in verse 1, publicly confesses and says, The Lord is my shepherd. He is confessing not only who his shepherd is. He's also confessing whose lead he, King David, is committed to following. At all times. And the result and the fruit of this union. The Lord's faithful shepherding. But King David's faithful following. Is a life of faith that moves in the right direction. And it moves in the right direction. Because it is always moving with the Lord. According to the word of the Lord. Lives that move by faith with the Lord. According to his word. Regardless of the circumstances or the challenge. Have one result and one final destination. And King David explains that in verse 1. I shall not want. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Now the English translation. I shall not want. It actually comes from. An old or Middle English idiom. And it is a leftover in all likelihood from the King James Version translation. Where that word want at that time during that translation. That word want meant much a much different sense or meaning than it does in this day and age. The old or Middle English term want meant lack or deficiency. And when someone said I shall not want it meant... I will not lack. I will not be deficient. I am in fact complete. I am content. I'm not vulnerable. But over time this word want has come to mean a need or a desire or a wish. Now King David is not saying here that he will never need anything. He's not saying here when he says I shall not want. I will never desire anything. He's not saying here, I will not struggle. And clearly as you read through the rest of the Psalms, very clearly David does struggle. Very clearly David is afraid. Very clearly David does desire things. Very clearly David does need things. We see this especially in the Lament Psalms. And in fact, as we read through the rest of Scripture, and and we see what David is expressing many times in these lament songs, is the testimony of God's Word is that God has created us all 
to need and desire many good things. He's created us to need and desire love. He's created and made us to need and desire truth. He's created us as his sheep to need and desire friendship and fellowship. But ultimately the source of these gifts of what we need are the Lord. The tragedy of pride and sin is our deceitful desires for these things pursue these things apart from God. Let me say that again. There's many good things that God has created us to desire. But it is our pride and our sin that leads us to pursue these things apart from God and apart from His Word. That spouse, apart from God's Word. That boyfriend or girlfriend, apart from God's Word. That job, apart from God's Word. That marriage, apart from God's Word. That family, apart from God's Word. And this pattern in our lives, according to the Ten Commandments, is called covetousness or idolatry. The desire for something apart from the word of the Lord. Covetousness or idolatry given to us and shown to us of what it is in the ten words of the ten commandments. And the result of our deceitful desires is that our hearts are defiled and they are never satisfied or complete. It's like eating that bag of salty chips that tastes good for a minute, but afterwards you're thirsty and you want more. It's like the sugary soda. I had patients of mine who struggled with diabetes and they would come in and see me and they would say, Dr. Chen, I don't know what the problem is. I'm thirsty all the time. I had two or three Coca-Colas and I just want another one and another one and another one. And you come in and their sugar is like three or four hundred. Because they've seen those commercials, the ice cold Coca-Cola or the ice cold beer. Crack it open and all the look of satisfaction on your face. And all you do is you want and you want and you want and you want. For all of you who are watching that ESPN series, you see that being the best in a sport and being the most popular person in the world does not give satisfaction, but only a search for another place in which to win and to dominate. When David says, I shall not want, he does not mean Contrary to the prosperity gospel. I will have what my sinful heart craves. When he says I shall not want. He does not mean I will have what this sinful world tells me I should have. Or I deserve or I am entitled to. When King David says the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What he is saying is that because the Lord is directing my life, because I belong to Him, because I am dear to Him, because by faith I follow Him wherever He leads, because I am with the lover of my soul, my Creator, my Redeemer, my Savior, the God who is true and always keeps His word, because I'm with Him, single or married, Rich or poor, 
good days or bad days, on the cross or in prison, regardless of the circumstance or the challenge, my life is moving in the right direction. My life is exactly where it should be, according to God's word. My life is complete. Why? Because my life is in His hands. Hands that overflow with His goodness and mercy forever. And brothers and sisters, this is not just the testimony of King David. This is the testimony of all the Lord's sheep. We think of Joseph and the Apostle Paul. Both men whose lives were filled with sorrow. Both men whose lives were filled with betrayal of others. Those who were near and dear to them. Both men spent time in prison. From the world's point of view, failures. And yet we see that in prison, Joseph has a character and a glow of God's goodness and mercy that sets him apart from the other prisoners. And the chief jailer sees it. And the men notice it. And Joseph is a bright light in the prison. He does not lack because God is present with him. He is a leader in the worst of circumstances because God is with him and his life overflows with the mercy and goodness of the Lord. Were the meals great in prison? I think not. Were there nicer places to be? Absolutely. Did Joseph ever wonder and get discouraged? Lord, are you going to ever bring me out? Clearly he said to those who worked for Pharaoh who left, remember me. Don't forget me. And they forgot him. And yet Joseph, during that season, was exactly where he was supposed to be. And his life was complete, whether he was aware of it fully or not. Because the Lord was and is his shepherd. We see... The same for the Apostle Paul who said, I have learned to be content in whatever circumstance I am. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And in verse 2, King David shows us the goodness and mercy the Lord's shepherding always brings us to. And it is nothing less than the goodness and the mercy of the word of the Lord. He says, he makes me lie down in green pastures, verse 2. He leads me beside still waters. And that phrase, in or by green pastures, refers to the lush green grass of spring. If you come over when social distancing is over and shelter in place is over and you spend some time with us in Milpitas, you'll look up into the hills and you'll see brown. But for a short period of time, In the spring and in the winter, when it rains, those brown hills become green. And they remotely resemble maybe hills in Hawaii. It's lush. King David here is making reference to those locations and places that are fully watered, lush, abundant. When he says, beside still waters, literally, waters of restfulness. Waters of restoration, waters of refreshing, waters of revitalization. Both metaphors emphasize the abundant life the Lord always leads his sheep to. 
The Lord gives His sheep nothing but the best. The Lord gives His sheep the riches of all that He has. He gives them what His sheep were created to be filled with, what they need to be filled with, to rest, to grow, to thrive, to live. And the best, brothers and sisters, is nothing less than the Word of the Lord. Now, that may not be obvious to the casual reader who reads through. Pastor Mark, I don't see it. How are you saying green pastures and and still waters or restful, waters of restfulness, the Word of the Lord? Where are you getting that from? Well, if you read, brothers and sisters, through the Psalms, starting in Psalm 1, and you read through all the Psalms, you will see the context of how David uses this language, and you will see that he is making a reference to the Word of the Lord. And if you read the rest of your Bibles, which uses the same images and metaphors that Psalm 23 is using here over and over again, you will see that the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture uses this as an illustration, as a metaphor, that is making a reference to what gives us life. And life in abundance. What gives us eternal life? Well, what is it? It's the word of the Lord. So in Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, King David says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law, the instruction of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. And that idea of meditating on the law day and night, there's this image in this psalm that comes up of a lamb or a farm animal chewing, 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 constantly and grazing continuously on the lush food that is before it. And he goes on and says in verse 2, He is like a tree planted by what? Streams of water that yields its fruit in its Season. Excuse me. The essential food, the water for the Lord's sheep, here is, is the law, the written word of God. The instruction and teaching of God's written word. This is what the Lord uses to fill His sheep with His goodness and mercy. Then you come to Psalm 19, right in the middle of that first book. And it's right in the middle of that first book, intentionally. Psalm 19.7. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Verse 10. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Then when you go to Jeremiah, Jeremiah combines both of these. Psalm 1, Psalm 23, and Psalm 19. He puts them all together when he talks about eating the word of the Lord and how it was sweet to him when it went down into his stomach. He also talks about being a a tree planted by living waters. We see as David writes this, he has learned the word of the Lord well. He has written it out by hand. He knows. And as he sings in Psalm 23, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. There is an echo here of Deuteronomy 8.3. Man does not live by bread alone, But man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Jesus, of course, quotes this in Matthew 4 in his temptation with Satan. And then the Apostle Paul, 2 Timothy 3, 15-17, explains to Timothy how the scriptures are able to make one wise for salvation. And they are able to make the man of God complete. I lack nothing. Complete. Full. 
for every good work. Brothers and sisters, this is where the Lord always leads His sheep. Because this alone, every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord, is what restores the souls of His sheep. Brothers and sisters, the Lord's not asking you to read your Bible because He he thinks you need something to do to fill up shelter-in-place time. You got lots of spare time. Might as well read your Bible. He's not making a project for you. He's not punishing you. The beauty and sweetness, as, as, as King David says, He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He's showing that the Lord's love for us to bring us to His Word is because the Lord desires to fill His sheep's lives with the very best. What is going to give them life and life more abundantly. The desire of every father and every mother for their their children. Brothers and sisters, what is the direction of your life? What is your life filled with? What is your life being filled with? In this time where we are home, and all our entertainment options have more or less been taken away, and sports has been taken away, and our fellowship has been taken away. And we we say, you know what? God has a very good plan. He knows what He's doing. And it's encouraging, brothers and sisters, to to speak to members of our church and hear how this this time has given them more time to spend with their wives and their children talking about the things of the Lord. To be still and know that He is God. Well, praise the Lord for that. But it's also burdensome, brothers and sisters, and I'm going to say this in love, to see that this is also time that gets filled up with YouTube and video games and And whatever binge watching is out there. What are our lives being filled with? This brings us to our second point for this morning. The Lord's shepherding is authoritative and wise. The Lord's shepherding is authoritative and wise. In a fallen world filled with harsh terrain and predators, getting lost, getting hurt, or being attacked is an ongoing risk. And left to ourselves, all sheep in time would end up being simply hungry and hurt. But the good news of God's word, the good news of Psalm 23, is that the Lord has not left his flock to fend for themselves. This is what encouraged Joseph in prison. This is what encouraged the Apostle Paul in prison. And it's interesting to think of the Apostle Paul 2 Timothy, you read through 2 Timothy. He's been betrayed. He's been abandoned. Ministry's not going the way he had desired, let's say. And he's cold. You can see that. Because he asks at the end for Timothy to bring his cloak. And it's sad and it's lonely. And yet, what also does the Apostle Paul ask Timothy to bring? Timothy, bring the parchments, bring the word. At the end of the day, the confidence that he has as he calls Timothy to hand off to faithful men the things that he's received, to stir up in his heart, to preach the word of God. 
We see that though his life is difficult, the Apostle Paul believes every promise of the word of the Lord. And that's where he's looking for hope and encouragement. The good news of God's word is that the Lord has not left his sheep to fend for himself. But he also points out here that his shepherding is not a democracy. The Lord does not go to his sheep and say, okay, you've got a left turn, a right turn, and a middle turn. Every sheep who wants to go left, you know, make this sound, or stomp your hoof, or, or bah, or whatever. He doesn't take an opinion. He doesn't take a poll. It's not a vote or a democracy. So often we approach the church as if it's supposed to be a democracy. The people of God, the assembly, a democracy. No, brothers and sisters. It has the authoritative sovereign leadership of the one true king, Jesus Christ. He knows what he's doing. And his leadership is authoritative. And in verse 2 through 4, King David shows that the leadership that he rejoices in, the shepherding he rejoices in, is the loving and wise leadership of the Lord. That is essential for his life and his well-being. And that leadership is authoritative. Now authority is a word, an idea, that our generation typically associates with abuse. We put those two words together, authority and abuse. We associate authority and abuse with our families, with our politicians, with our churches. And there's no question about it. There's a long history of abuse where authority has been held. And there are two reasons for this. Scripture is very clear and it shows us why there is abuse with authority and why we do have to be cautious with authority. And the first reason is that fallen men and women invariably abuse authority, whether it's in politics, whether it's in the church or in families. That's what sin does. Sin abuses authority. But the second frequently overlooked reason why we typically associate authority with abuse, and why the two so often walk hand in hand. And it's this. Fallen men and women typically resent and reject any authority other than their own. Fallen men and women typically resent or reject any authority other than their own. Put in another words, fallen men and women refuse to submit to any authority other than their own. And this is very much the testimony of Genesis 3. And in Genesis 3 and the curse, the Lord shows and demonstrates that men will not want to submit to the authority of the Lord and women will not want to submit to the authority of their husbands. That is the nature of sin in our hearts. That's the battle with the flesh. But it's also the testimony of all of Scripture and it's the testimony of all of history. Brothers and sisters, that is the history of fallen men and women who are walking away from the Lord. That is not God's blueprint for His sheep and His flock who He has created and saved to submit to His authority, His loving and wise authority, but nonetheless His authority, and to follow Him according to His Word. 
not to make the rules up as they go along or say, this sounds right to me, this sounds right to me. It's a trust that his word is loving and gracious and good. I might not understand it, but if it's coming from his mouth, it is loving and it's what's best for me. Even if, like Joseph or Paul, I'm in prison and I'm cold and it's difficult. Because ultimately I trust that the Lord loves me the best of all. And he will get me to where I need to be. And I know, brothers and sisters, that, that's hard. But nonetheless, this is who the Lord is. And when we bring that attitude into the church, who are you to tell me what to do? Why did you correct me in that way? When we start to, why do we need to come in and, and become church members? So interesting to go through the Nine Marks booklet with the membership team. And to read that first chapter in what is church membership. Where Jonathan Lehman makes the point, church membership, the first point he makes is about the imperium of Christ. The authority of Christ. And at the end he talks about what it means to be a church member. What are you committing to? You're committing to submitting to Christ and to his local church. Now that's not there to abuse power, brothers and sisters. It's to point you in the direction of what's going to protect you from the abuse of power. And brothers and sisters, we have to ask ourselves, how often do you seek leadership and guidance and direction from your small group leaders? How often do you come to them and say, I'm looking, thinking about getting another job. I'm thinking of dating someone. I'm thinking of whatever, making a decision that's going to affect the direction of your life. Brothers, how often is the first step, I'm going to pray and ask the Lord and seek His Word. Second step, I'm going to go to the shepherds who the Lord has put in my life. Because when we don't do that, brothers and sisters, when we inform, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm doing this. I just want you to know, A, B, C, D, and E. I'm moving on to another church. I'm finding another job in another city. I'm doing all these things, which... That's fair. Maybe the Lord is leading you. But when your small group leaders, the shepherds the Lord has put over you, are the last people to know. The people who the Lord has put in your life to point you to the word of the Lord. What we're saying, brothers and sisters, is that the Lord's word and his shepherding have nothing to say for the most important decisions in my life. What we're saying is these things are none of the church's business. That's my area. I remember many years ago, Dr. Street came and asked me. He said, there's a medical mission going to South Africa. Mark, you should consider going. And I smiled and I said, I'll think about it. In my mind, I said, no way. I'm going to that short-term mission in Brazil, in Rio. You know, when I got home and I told my dad and I laughed, I said, you know, he... Can you believe it? Dr. Street asked me to go to, uh, to, to South Africa. And I laughed. And my dad was offended. And he said, Mark, that's your shepherd asking you. That's your shepherd asking you. And he showed me my pride, my foolishness, and my arrogance to the Lord, the word of the Lord, and the shepherds he had put in my life. And by God's grace, I did make it to South Africa. And the Lord used that trip 
to open my eyes for the need to be equipped more by the word of the Lord. And he used that to get me to seminary. It's all that the Lord wants for you. He wants what's best. And according to God's word, the remedy for abuse, brothers and sisters, is not the lack of authority. It's not the avoidance of shepherding. And it's not even, brothers and sisters, democracy. We're seeing that in this day and age. In the leadership we have where African American men running through streets get shot. Because they're jogging. Democracy is not a protection against abuse. The remedy for abuse, brothers and sisters, is the authority and shepherding of God's word that restores the soul. Restraining orders don't stop husbands from abusing their wives. You know that. A heart transformed by the gospel that brings that man to repentance. To see how he's grieved the Lord and he's abused his wife and he turns 180 degrees. That, brothers and sisters, is what protects a family from abuse. And the testimony of Psalm 23 in all of scripture is that there is only one shepherd and one authority that restores the soul. And that is the shepherd and an authority that gently and firmly brings his sheep at times forcibly to the green pastures and still waters of His word. Look at verse 3. King David highlights the divine and sovereign hand of the Lord. That exercises authority. Gentle but firm. He writes verse 2. He makes me lie down. He doesn't say he negotiates with me. He doesn't say he asks my opinion. He doesn't say, little lamb, do you want to come here? He says, he Makes me. And the Hebrew verb is one of ongoing habitual force. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And that verb, the Lord is making this happen repeatedly. It's not a one and done. Verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Verb tense that they use is one of the Lord causing this to happen. The implication is without the Lord making me, without the Lord gently but forcibly bringing me, even if it means he has to carry me. If the Lord didn't do that, I would not lie down in his green pastures. I would not find the still waters of his word. I would not walk in paths of righteousness. Left to my own authority left to my own deceitful desires, left to my own understanding, I would never make it home. Praise the Lord. He is a shepherd who makes me lie down in the green pastures of His Word. Praise the Lord. He leads, even if that means carrying me and bringing me gently but forcibly beside still waters. Praise the Lord, He does whatever is necessary to restore my soul. And for ancient Near East shepherds, leading sheep to good water was not just to quench their thirst. They brought their sheep to still waters to wash their sheep of their wounds and to cleanse the sheep of their soiled spots. Throughout Scripture, the dual function of God's Word, one to sustain and to bring to salvation, but two to sanctify 
to bring healing into lives, to remove and wash from the patterns of sinfulness, to remove those away that do continual damage so that someone who is hurt or ill can be restored and walk properly again. Brothers and sisters, there's a mistaken assumption from all those pastoral pictures of that blonde-haired, blue-eyed, long-haired Jesus with a sheep around his shoulders that shepherding is about a warm hug. I'm not saying that there's any room for abuse. Okay? But what I'm saying is that there's a lot more going on here and David knew it firsthand. He's talking here about the Lord coming in and directly addressing our sin with the only remedy for it. They used to have to sew up children who had cuts and lacerations. Their mothers would bring them in. And I would get the mothers to help me keep the children still along with the nurse so that I could sew up a laceration on a face or an arm. And I'll never forget, obviously, the children are screaming. And they scream, Mom, why are you doing this to me? Mom, why are you doing this to me? And even afterwards, Naya was not uncommon, where I'd see a child mad dog their mom. You sold me out. And now that I'm a dad, I get to live that out firsthand. Brothers and sisters, there's a lot more to shepherding than just a warm hug. That's part of it, but there's a lot more. And that brings us to our third and final point this morning. The Lord's shepherding restores my soul by leading me to repentance. The Lord's shepherding restores my soul by leading me to repentance. Psalm 23, the Lord's authoritative leading brings his sheep to the place where he gently and firmly feeds, waters, washes them with his word. But what's the result in verse 3a? It says he restores my soul. That word soul, nefesh, it means the entirety of your life. Not just your spiritual life, the entirety of your life. Habitual, ongoing, not one and done. Ongoing, restoration. And the word that's used for restore here, it's very interesting. It's the same verb for repentance. Shuv. Same word to return someone to their proper place. And there's a connection King David draws here. That to repent or to bring a lamb to repentance. To return it to its proper place where it's supposed to be from wandering. This is what revitalizes. This is what refreshes. This is what brings the sheep to where they need to be. This is what helps remove sin and hurts and wounds. And this is what restores and refreshes and gives rest. And this is ultimately what enables that sheep to walk on paths of righteousness. You know this. You've taken your children to museums. And by the end of the museums, they're walking. I'm so tired. You know, what was a joy in the beginning is a drag at the end. Because nobody can walk because of those tired legs. Well, King David is showing that repentance here. The repentance that comes from the Lord. Bringing his word to bear in our lives. Convicting us of sin. Is actually a beautiful, restorative, rejoicing, releasing Effect in the life of a lamb that enables them to walk again and to follow their their shepherd home on the next on the rest of the journey. King David is saying here, it's the Lord's intentional leading and authority that brings me to the teaching and instruction and sanctification of His Word that brings me to repentance. 
that repairs and rebuilds my life. That gets my wandering life back on track. On paths of righteousness where he leads for his name's sake. Brothers and sisters, we can read the Bible all we want. We can listen to no end of sermons online. But if by faith we never truly submit to the authority of God, washing us with His Word, taking that Word and applying it to the sinful areas of our lives, we'll never know the joy of true repentance. Our lives will never be filled with His goodness and mercy. Our souls will never be restored. Our lives will just be filled up with head knowledge of Scripture and pride. And we will never make it home. What is the intent of the Lord shepherding? Brothers and sisters, it's to bring His sheep safely home. And He knows that what he needs to address, what's stopping us, what's getting us to wander off the track, what's hurting us and wounding us and making us sick, is the sin of our hearts and our pride and the idolatry that kills. Brothers and sisters, he is a good shepherd. But if we say we are following him and there is no ongoing pattern of repentance that is a joy and that refreshes our soul, that washes our lives with the word of the Lord, we've got to stop and say, okay, is this true? Or am I following someone else? And am I drinking by a different water or well? Brothers and sisters, this is not just the testimony of Psalm 23. King David is not just writing this as a theological text. Oh, I read all the scriptures. This is what you need to do. You need to repent. This is something that King David knew firsthand and experienced firsthand. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 12. And briefly, I want to show you how the Lord takes Psalm 23 and he applies it to David's life and what it looks like in David's life. And it's a lot more than a warm hug. Second Samuel 11, King David commits a horrific sin. When he should be leading his sheep in battle, he's at home looking at women. When he sees an attractive woman, Bathsheba bathing without clothes on, he invites her to his palace, he sleeps with her, he commits adultery with her, and then, rather than going to the Lord, he conceals his sin. And he ends up arranging for the killing of Uriah, this woman's husband, after he has gotten this woman pregnant. And you go home today and you read that text, 2 Samuel 11, you will weep. It is horrific. Not only does David sin with this man, he gets everybody else in his sin, Joab, his generals. And not only does he kill just Uriah, her husband, he kills other men too. Innocent lives. And then afterwards, all he does after Uriah is dead is he brings this woman in and he marries her. He does all this mess of concealing, 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 trying to cover up bad with good to try and whitewash the situation. Then you come to 2 Samuel 12.1. And it says, And the Lord sent Nathan to David. This is Nathan the prophet. This is how the Lord shepherds. He sends godly men filled with the word of God to his sheep who are wandering. Old Testament, New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4 and 5. 
Nathan came to him and he said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and he grew it up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who would come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb, and he prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man, and he said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die, and he, will, he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing, and because he had no pity. 2 Samuel 12, 7. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord God, the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God of Israel. This is God shepherding David. This is God shepherding David by sending one of his under-shepherds to represent him with the word of the Lord specifically for David to address David's sin. I anointed you king over Israel, and I delivered you out of the hand of Saul. And I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your arms. And I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if this were too little, I would add to you as much more. Verse 9. Why have you despised the word of the Lord? To do what is evil in his sight. Well, brothers and sisters, you know how the rest of this story ends. And your homework today is to go and read Psalm 32 and Psalm 51. Psalms of repentance where David declares and confesses his sin publicly in front of the entire congregation of Israel and had songs written so that people would sing about his sin and his repentance. And you will see how the Lord refreshes And restores King David. King David will have to live with the consequences of his sin. But the Lord goes on and explains to him, You will not die. I will take your sin away. And of course, the cost of the Lord is his own son will have to die. Our Lord and Savior Jesus. And brothers and sisters, that that is how much the Lord loves us. As much as we want to resent his hard hand. The psalmist in Psalm 119 says, You have afflicted me so that I would not stray. You have afflicted me so that I might learn your word. And we may resent the Lord for the hard things he brings into our lives. Including things like COVID-19. That are hard. Where there's sorrow and there's difficulty. And yet you read Psalm 51. You read Psalm 32. And you see that the authority of the Lord is ultimately wise and it is ultimately loving. And its desire and intent is to bring us to the word of the Lord so that we might be washed and restored and set free. And we see that the Lord has done so much to the point where he has killed and crushed his own son for our sin. So that we might repent and be restored and we might come home and be with him. Brothers and sisters, all of this points to one place and one place alone. It's what Garrett read this morning. Jesus is the good shepherd. Are you following him? 
Are you feeding on His Word? Are you submitting to His authority? Are you submitting to the authority of the shepherds He's put in your life to bring His Word into your life? Even if it means saying things that puncture your pride. Because, brothers and sisters, Jesus is this shepherd that David is talking about. In John 4.10, Jesus says to the woman at the well, He said, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked Him, and He would have given you living water. Living water. The water that refreshes and restores by bringing you to repentance and by bringing you to the one true King who gives life and life abundantly. And that's what Jesus does with the woman at the well. Very gently, very sensitively, not harsh, but he does show you're sleeping with a lot of men and you will never be satisfied. And then in John 17, 10, what is it that Jesus says in his high priestly prayer right before he is crucified? He says to the Father, I have given them your word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Saying, I've washed them, these disciples, with your word. And that's why when we get to Ephesians Five brothers, he says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Husbands, are you the shepherds of your wives and children? Are you washing them with The word of the Lord. Are you allowing their lives to be restored and refreshed? Well, that's not going to happen if the Lord is not your shepherd. You will not be gentle with your wives and your children if you yourself have not seen what it's like to have your pride punctured and the word of the Lord applied and for you to fall flat in your face before the cross and ask for mercy and grace from a God who shouldn't be giving it to you, but in kindness and grace does. Brothers and sisters, we come to the end of God's word, Revelation seven seventeen, And it says, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and He will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear From their eyes. Brothers and sisters. God's shepherding. It may at times be firm. It is authoritative. It is powerful. And it may well bring us. Against our will. Into hard times and hard places. But the intent of the Lord always. Is to guide us to springs of living water. And to wipe away every tear from our eyes. Because brothers and sisters. When you know the joy of repentance. You know the refreshment and joy of being whole and being holy. And one with the Lord. And you know the joy of having the tears of sin washed from your eyes. Brothers and sisters. We have a good shepherd. Who exactly. Are you following? Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, what a shepherd you are. What a desire you have for our lives. What you do. 
How often, Lord, have we resisted your authoritative and mighty hand, thinking somehow that we knew better, when in fact the desire of your heart is merely to wash us with your word, fill us with your word, fill us with the very best, bring us to repentance, restore our hearts, our minds and souls, so that we might walk and follow you without tears and without sorrow, our lives lacking nothing, and so that we might find our way home to be with you. May this, Lord, be the day that we celebrate and praise and give thanks for a shepherd as good as you. In your name we pray. Amen.